Turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Have you ever needed to, uh, to detox? You ever had to do one of those things? I, I did a little research on, uh, on detoxing in preparation for this, this sermon. And it, it's quite common to, uh, in our world today to do some sort of detox to uh, kind of clean the body out of some harmful things, toxins, whatever the case may be. And I, as I, I looked up ways that people detox, I, I found several different ways, and maybe you've heard some of them or done some of them. You could detox by fasting. You could do some sort of uh, juice cleanse. Uh, you could use a dietary supplement, a pill, a powder, or something like that, shake. You could eat certain antioxidants, foods that, that help with that. You can do uh, a tea cleanse. I think years ago, my wife and I did one of those. You drink some tea, and it's supposed to help you, help you feel better. There are all kinds of ways that, that people use to try to you know, detox their body, make themselves feel better, clean out their system, those sort of things. One thing that my wife has done... Uh, though she hasn't done it as much lately, she used to do it every morning, is drink celery juice. I don't know if you've ever drank celery juice, but uh, she even bought, bought a juicer and, you know, put that through there. And every morning she would drink that before she ate to, to help with some issues she was working through health-wise. And I don't know about you if you've ever tried celery juice. I love to eat celery, but I can't stand celery juice. I don't think I could get a whole cup in my system before I... I ate in the morning, but we, we do all these, uh, all these things to try to help us cleanse the body, maybe feel, work out some things in our immune system, whatever the case might be. And I think the church is very similar. In fact, the Bible does describe the church as a body. And just like toxic substances or certain things can get in our body that Maybe sometimes we just need to clean them out so it can be in the church. Toxic things can get within the church body and need to be cleaned out. Toxic ideas, toxic behavior, maybe even toxic people. And sometimes churches just need, in a sense, a detox. As we come to our text today in 2 Timothy chapter 3, the first nine verses, Paul talks about these types of things in the church, and he gives churches today some stern warnings about certain types of individuals that can sometimes be found in churches. If you were to follow the context here in chapter 2, Paul talks about certain individuals that he calls unclean or unworthy vessels and he tells Timothy the young pastor of the church in Ephesus to cleanse himself from these individuals and now in chapter 3 Paul carries over this idea and he kind of gets down to the details he actually gives some specific types of people that we need to look out for in our church and body life and so let's read together 2nd Timothy chapter Three, our text this morning, we'll be looking at the first nine verses you can follow along in your copy of the scriptures. Paul writes, But realize these things, that in many, or in the last days, difficult times will come. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, 
disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, traitors, reckless, being conceited, lovers of money rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, but its power have denied these ones avoid. For among them are the ones slipping into households, taking captive weak women, having been weighed down with sin, being led by various desires, always learning, never being able to come to knowledge of the truth, just as Jonas and Jambres opposed Moses. Thus also, these ones oppose the truth, men having been depraved of mind, disqualified concerning the faith, but they will not make further progress. For their folly will be obvious to all, as also those ones became. Here Paul gives some words of caution about the reality of toxic people who might have a toxic influence in churches today. And as we walk through this text and we kind of unpack what Paul and we, we look at his description of these individuals, I think there's, there's one big idea that I take away from the text this morning, this is what I want you to take away as well. If this is the only thing that you remember this morning, hopefully you'll remember more, but if this, if this is the only thing you take away this morning, remember this. Sometimes we need to detox from toxic people. Sometimes we need to detox from toxic people. And as we walk through this text, I want to answer the question or, or evaluate the question, how? How do I identify these type of people? How do I look at a church today, whether it be the church that I attend or this church here this morning in White Bear Lake, how do I identify toxic people? And I think Paul helps us here because as we walk through this text, Paul gives us four simple identifiers, four unmistakable identifiers of toxic people that help us. We're to be the church that God wants us to be. Paul helps us to look out, to watch out. And so as we unpack our text this morning, the first identifier Paul gives us of toxic people, I found, find in verses 2 through 4, he tells toxic people approve carnal behavior. They approve carnal behavior. They're all about carnality in the way that they live and the way that they act, even in churches today. Now before we go to verse 2, let's look at verse 1, because Paul kind of gives some opening uh, opening statements here, kind of a blanket summary. Look at it with me in your copy of the scriptures. He says, realize these things that in the last days, difficult times will come. Paul gives Timothy, his protege in the faith, the man that he had mentored and sent to Ephesus to straighten out some things. He gives Timothy a stern warning. Timothy, if you didn't realize it before, realize it now. Difficult times will come in the last days. So if we're going to unpack the text, we need to answer that question. What does he mean? What are the last days here? And we could spend a whole sermon or sermon series talking about that. We won't do that this morning. But I would just point out that Paul warns Timothy in the context here that there are these individuals. And we'll get to the end of verse 4 where he tells them, or tells Timothy in the present tense to avoid these people. I think it's clear that this wasn't something that Paul was looking ahead to someday in the future. This was something that was going on right here in the context of the Ephesian church at that time, which 
is the same time we're in. We would maybe call it the church age, the, the last days before Christ comes to rapture his church and take his bride to be with him. Paul is talking, I believe, about the time Timothy was living in and by extension, the time we're living in today. He says, make no mistake, difficult times will come. Well, what does he mean by that? Think about his description here, difficult times. The word here actually means dangerous. Could be translated in other senses as violent. Think perhaps referring to the fact that we might have to put on some sort of fight or battle for the faith. He says they will come. It's interesting here. The word for come isn't the traditional word in the Greek New Testament for something to come about or to appear. It's actually a word that means to set up. Almost as if difficult times are going to set themselves up and they're, they're going to be here to stay. They're not going away here. Kind of describes our world today, doesn't it? But notice the certainty with what Paul describes us. He says that they will come. No doubt about it. They're, they're coming. They're already here. Don't be surprised, believer, at what you see in our world today. The erosion of what has been called the moral imagination or the Christian worldview in our secular culture at large, even in churches today. Don't be surprised. Paul talked about it 2,000 years ago. We can make a lot of specific applications here today to our world, our culture in 2023. We won't take the time to do that, but suffice to say, we can all nod our heads. We see it, right? We see it. But Paul goes on in his instruction to Timothy to tell what this looks like, to get into the details, and he teaches Timothy that toxic people in the church, they approve carnal behavior. Look at what he says. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant. He gives this incredibly long list, 18 descriptors, details of people in the church that we're to watch out for. What a list. I mean, you look at that and you're like, wow. If Paul didn't describe our culture and our world, even our churches today, wow. But notice how it starts to lovers of self. This really is where it all starts. One commentator I read described self-love as a pipeline through which all these other sins kind of flow through from which the rest of these toxic sins derive. They all start with self-love. Now let's, let's be careful here because we might look at this text and we might want to look you know, outside the windows here. We might want to look around the world today and say, oh, yep, okay, that, yeah, Paul is right. This is happening. This is going on in our world. I mean, we see certain decisions that certain governments have made, even in Minnesota, and we see uh, all kinds of, yeah, this is happening, but don't forget the context here. Paul is talking about a church. He's talking to a pastor He's essentially telling Timothy, guard the church because these things are going to be coming if they're not already there. Well, why does he have to write this to a pastor? Well, because churches, sinners, are full of self-love. 
And in the last days that Paul describes, churches will be full of people who want what they want. They want all they want to do is love themselves and get their own way. They want things to work out for them, for their benefit, for their, their desire. And isn't that true today? We, we see it. Even in churches, we have movements for self-esteem, self-love, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Even certain of these are widely accepted in Christian circles. I'm not a big fan of naming names, but you could probably think of even books put out by Christian authors that have become uh, very, very popular. And if you really read through, it's all about self-love, cutting out the naysayers, doing what you want to make your better, your life better. We have even popular psychologists and psychiatrists who you can find and watch on YouTube whose message is basically just that. You can make your life better with a little bit of self-will and some gumption and kind of reminds me of Joel Olstein's book, Your Best Life Now. I mean, that, that's the message, right? You can have your best life now if you just try harder and work and God wants you to have the best. And But these Messages are often gospelless messages because they don't talk about the work that Christ has already done for us. And you'll find these in the Christian section of almost every Christian bookstore or local bookstore. They're there. It's there. This type of stuff is there. Creeps into our circles under the guise of, you know, Christian and say maybe just enough truths so that we buy into it. Let me tell you, this is the type of stuff that kept me up at night when I was pastoring. That this stuff would creep into the church and people would buy into some of these things. Well, what do you get? When this type of self-love that Paul describes here, what do you get when it happens in the church? I think Paul describes it for us. Utter chaos the destruction of the body, and left unattended, where does it lead? Well, don't need to tell you. We see it. We see it clearly in our world today, even in churches where God's law is set aside and replaced with God's love, creating an imbalance in ministry. Churches that overemphasize maybe one aspect of God's character and under emphasize another. Churches that minimize doctrine because we all know doctrine divides, so we got to erase the doctrine. And because of that, we don't make a big deal out of God's word. Or if we do, if we, if we don't like it, we just say it's myth. Strip it away. That wasn't the original intent of the author, or that's not how it speaks to me. This happens in our world today. Unless we think that we are exempt from this because we are a doctrinally conservative Bible-believing church. It was in a church 2,000 years ago, planted by the Apostle Paul, who we might tend to, tend to say, you know, the preacher of preachers, the Apostle of Apostles. This, this is the church that he planted. They struggled with it too. If they did, don't you think we wouldn't as well? It all starts off with self-love. But let, let's walk through Paul's list. We don't have time to say a lot of details about everything. There's 18 of these descriptors here, but let's maybe talk through them very briefly. He says, lovers of money. 
will make sense. If you love yourself, you're going you're gonna to love money, right? The two kind of go, go hand in hand. Boastful, this is bragging, self-exalting, a self-absorbed person. Kind of makes sense, right? Go, goes together. Arrogant, showing feelings of unwarranted importance. Maybe in the, even in the church that works itself out of, in a way in which you define your ministry or define your, your, yourself by your ministry and I'm the children's worker or I'm the lead usher. Or I've been doing that for 20 years so no one step, step into my ministry. Arrogant person, the ministry couldn't survive without me, you know, that mentality. He says there, were, there were, uh, are revilers, the Greek word here is blasphemous revilers, someone who is irreverent to what is held sacred. This person can perhaps play church with the rest of them, but inside there's this contempt, this chafing for what's going on. He says, disobedient to parents. I've heard it said that this is a downfall of society. When a child rises up but goes against their parents, not a good thing in our world. It's really not a good thing in the church. Paul says, ungrateful, this is the inability to express gratitude. You can't even say thank you, you just want more and more and more and more. He uses the word unholy. It could be translated as profane. It really refers to shameful behavior. It can be thought of, the, of as the absence of common decency. He mentions unloving, and this is an interesting word because it's not talking about someone who's just uh, who acts in an unloving way, but someone who has the inability to love. They, they, they just can't be a loving person. They can't show kindness or gratitude or love. They can't feel affection towards other people. The word translated literally means hard-hearted. How about this one? Irreconcilable. This is the person who doesn't respond to an appeal. You can't gain the goodwill of this person, even though you've tried, even though you've went through, you know, a Matthew 18 type process for peacemaking. They, they just can't, can't be one. We see this in our world today, don't we? I mean, oftentimes this happens with, with people who have a history of hopping around in churches and churches and churches, and they, they stay long enough until they have a personal conflict, and then they don't resolve it right. And so they go to another church where no, no one will know them. That's a common thing. Paul says slanderous. Next word here, the Greek word here is diabolos, which is the word for devil. Well, what is the devil? He's the accuser of the brethren. You can make that connection there. Slanderous. Without self-control, someone who's unrestrained in their inhibitions. Brutal, this is just a wild or untamed person like, like a beast. Haters of good. No desire for good things. Man, we, we don't like to think that way. But Paul says these type of people are in the church. Traitors. He mentions this is a betrayer, a person that you can't trust. You, you can't reveal confidences to them because they'll share them. Type of person that maybe feigns friendship to try to get close to you and then they use the information they learn to turn around against you. A traitor. He mentions reckless people. This is a, an aggressive, headstrong person who charges for without taking time to consider the consequences. He mentions conceited, that's obviously being puffed up. And he concludes this whole list of 18 descriptors 
with kind of where he started, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. He gives this conclusion statement. He ends up where he started. These types of people, toxic people, don't really love God. They may put on a good show. Watch out. They can destroy churches. These type of people are in ministries today. These are the type of people who derail a ministry. And Paul describes them for us and so many times their, their toxicity or their nature just kind of gets labeled in, in churches under the man-made description of, oh, this is just how they are. Right? You hear that? Well, this is just how they are. Someone explodes in anger. Well, that's just how they are. Someone gossips. Oh, well, we just know that's how they are. And so what do we do? We, we end up with churches where you have people who everyone just kind of skirts around this person because they know this is how they are. And so they don't want to upset that person. And so you have people who have been living in sin in the body of Christ for years and years and years, and everyone knows it, but no one's confronted them. Familiar story, it happens. It corrupts the body. And Paul recognizes that these things were happening in the early church at Ephesus. And so he writes to Timothy, this is part of the reason why he sent Timothy, to set things right. And he writes to Timothy so that Timothy would know, to be aware, what's going on. Sometimes we need to detox from toxic people. Sometimes we need to detox from toxic people. Paul reminds us, tells us here, toxic people approve carnal behavior. Make excuses for what's there. They approve it. Say it's okay. It's not what you think it is. It's just, you know, maybe they change the name. It's not anxiety or it's just a little bit upset, a little bit nervous. It's not anger. I was just, yeah, I was just a little, a little bit heated. Sometimes we change the names, we change the categories. Going back to our text, we come to our next verse, verse 5, and we see a second characteristic of the toxic people Paul sets out to describe here. Toxic people mask inward character. They mask inward character. They use their outward appearance to hide what's really going on inside. Look at verse 5. He says, holding to a form of godliness, but its power have denied these ones avoid. He further describes these people as having this form of godliness, but they deny the power. They use their outward appearance to, to mask what is going on on the inside. Things look great on the outside. They can put on a show. They can do the spiritual walk with the best of them. But inside there are really issues. And one day they'll come out. Notice the word Paul uses. He says they have a form of godliness. It's the appearance. It's, it's the embodiment. You, you might not even be able to tell unless you look closely. What Paul's saying here is something we need to take for truth for our churches today. There are spiritual charlatans in churches there are spiritual fakes people who appear to be right appear to love god appear to have all their ducks lined up in a row maybe they just conform to an outward standard they have ritual without a relationship and paul says they've denied the power what does that mean to deny the power of godliness 
I think it means that they were never or they are not being changed on the inside. This is like what Paul writes in Titus chapter 1, verse 16. He says, they profess to know God, but by their deeds they deny him, being detestable, disobedient, and worthless for any good deeds. These type of people that Paul describes, he's essentially saying they have no internal heart change. That's what it means to deny the power of godliness. There is no internal transformation. They're spiritual fakes. They come with the appearance of Christianity, the appearance of spirituality, but they're trying to lull people into following them. I like how John MacArthur put it in one of his commentaries. The enemy of the church is not the man standing on the outside speaking against religion. The enemy that threatens the life of the church is the man on the inside who says he's religious and lies. That's what Paul's talking about here. Or as I heard from a preacher long ago, still remember this quote when I was a teenager, stuck in my mind, it's not the ship in the water, it's the water in the ship that causes it to sink. Paul says we need to be careful. They've never, these people, they've never been changed by the transforming power of Christ. Maybe they're putting on a good performance. These types of people, watch out. They're toxic in the church. Sometimes we need a detox from toxic people. I get this big idea, as I'm calling it, from the end of verse 5. Paul says, these ones avoid. These ones avoid. This actually is the main verb in a long sentence of uh, verses 2 to 5. And Paul concludes with this imperative, avoid these people. Now let's, let's not forget the context. Keep in mind here that this was written to a pastor. This was Paul's message to Timothy, his friend, his brother, his child in the faith. And so I, I think, and I'm, I'm careful when I preach through this book, that it's most directly applied or applicable to men in ministry. So what does that mean? I think it means that there are some people in the church that are so toxic that pastors just need to avoid them. Maybe they're not going to change. They're not going to grow apart from the power of the Spirit, obviously, that's why Paul tells Timothy elsewhere to invest in faithful men who can teach others also. If you're going to have to choose who to give your time to, Timothy, those of you who are elders here in the church, Pastor Ace, choose the faithful men over the toxic people. Don't waste your time with toxic people. It's actually interesting here. The word avoid here means to, to turn away from. To turn away from, to even to shun. Well, Why? Because these types of people will ruin the ministry of a pastor. They can many times suck the life out of him. In fact, I know of a man right now, a former pastor, good, godly man in a conservative Bible-preaching church who's no longer in pastoral ministry. He's still in ministry. He has a, a teaching and training ministry where he travels around to churches teaching in a, a Bible curriculum. But he left the pulpit ministry because of toxic people who kept attacking him over and over and over again. And he just, he just couldn't stand the attacks anymore. And 
the best option for him was to run away and protect his family. I wonder if he wasn't applying this text very literally. Go away from these people. Turn away from these people. And unfortunately, in his church situation, he didn't have the protection of other people who were helping. But this, this situation got to the point where this man had to physically leave the church in order to get away from toxic people. Say to those of you here who maybe you're, you're seeing yourself, you're seeing certain tendencies, you're maybe falling into that category of maybe I'm a, a toxic influence in the church. You, you don't want that weight on your shoulders. You don't want the weight of I'm the person pastor has to avoid because if he doesn't avoid me, I might have such a bad influence on his life and ministry that it's not going to be good. Elsewhere, Scripture says to mark those who cause division. This, this is the type of person we're talking about. Paul tells Timothy, Timothy, be careful. There are people in the church who will destroy your ministry. Churches had them back then. Churches have them today. Sometimes we need to detox from toxic people. Well, let's go back to our text as we work through the passage. Verses 6 and 7, we find our third identifier of toxic people. Not only do toxic people approve carnal behavior, they mask inward character, but thirdly, they ruin vulnerable people. They ruin vulnerable people. Look at what Paul writes in verse 6. Among them are the ones slipping into households, taking captive weak women, having been weighed down by sin and led by various desires, always learning, never being able to come to knowledge of the truth. <clears throat> now follow what Paul's saying here. Okay, fo follow the logic of the text. He just finished describing these toxic people. He gave 18 descriptors of what they look like. And now he takes it further. He says they even slip into households, taking captive weak women who are being weighed down by sin, led by their desires. Some of them their deception goes to the point of deceiving others. This is why it's so important that we identify them, deal with them, avoid them, as Paul says. He says they slip into houses, take other people captive. Now, let's, let's unpack that. Let's think about what that means. Slipping into households, I think this is significant. Sometimes if people can't get you at church, they'll get you at your home. Oftentimes, ministry happens in church, disunity happens in the home or at the coffee shop or nowadays through texting or over the phone. Did you hear about? That's what we have here. People moving outside the, the church body gatherings, it would seem, and going into the homes, maybe trying to sneak away outside the site of leadership and trying to go to the coffee shop Bible study on whatever weekday morning and gain a following. It happens. They use the home as their chief battleground for their deception. They slip into households and they lead others astray. Notice Paul says, taking captive weak women. We could say a lot here. I don't think this is a judgment on all women. He's not saying all women are vulnerable to the attacks of toxic people. I don't think he's saying that. I think he's simply saying this is what was going on in Ephesus. 
We could talk a little bit more about the need to protect women, husbands protect their wives, father protect their daughters, uh, churches protect widows. First Timothy talks about those things. But what Paul's describing isn't really that foreign to us. We see it in our world today, don't we? How about cults? You ever notice that cults seem to play on weak women? Why is it that the Mormons come to your house in the middle of the day? Who do you think they expect to find there? Well, husbands off at work, hopefully for them, vulnerable women. Even certain cult leaders have a tendency for picking them out. And you, you've heard stories of those type of things. This apparently was happening in Paul's day. Toxic people using their deceptive lifestyle to ruin vulnerable people. And I, I don't think our application today needs to be limited to women. Because there are a lot of vulnerable men out there. There are a lot of, a lot of men who give in to gossip or slander or buy every story that, you'll, uh, that they'll sell you and... Jump on the bandwagon here. One commentator wrote this. Beware of those who prey upon others' vulnerabilities. They have hidden intentions. But look at Paul's description of the women in, in his context, in his day and age. He says, taking captive weak women, having been weighed down by sin, being led by various desires. I think this is talking about the women, not the false teachers. I won't make a case for that this morning, but... Uh, that's what I believe Paul's saying here. And notice what makes them so vulnerable. They're weighed down by sin. Good spiritual principle for us. When we're living in sin, we're spiritually vulnerable. Notice he says that they were weighed down. The, the, the Greek here is really interesting. It literally means piled up or heaped up, and it's in the, in the passive which is almost the sense of the, these, these sins are just kind of piling and piling and piling and piling, which happens if you don't take care of your stuff, right? We, we know that. One sin leads to another. When we live in sin, we are spiritually vulnerable. Vulnerable to more sin for sure, but maybe even vulnerable to deception. Vulnerable to being led astray. Vulnerable to the gossip. That so-and-so might want to call us up on the phone and say, did you hear about this? Or the, the age-old prayer request, hey, I, I want to share this with you so you can pray about it, or I just thought you needed to know. When we're living in sin and our sins are, are piling up and we're not taking care of our stuff, we're vulnerable. We're vulnerable here. When we're not on our A-game spiritually, so to speak, we leave ourselves open to distraction, might even buy into the teaching of false teachers or toxic people. Going back to verse 7, Paul continues his description of these women. He says they're always learning and never being able to come to knowledge of the truth. Sure, there's plenty of knowledge. They can dice the finer nuances of theology like the best of them. They perhaps sat in church for years. Maybe had a teaching ministry, have all this knowledge, but knowledge doesn't do you any good if you don't use it. That seems to be what has been happening here. These individuals were full of head knowledge, all kinds of knowledge, but they never learned to put it into practice. That's why Paul says they're never able to come to knowledge of the truth. They know it, but they don't really know it. It's in their head, but it's probably not in their heart. You can know all sorts of information 
and never achieve wisdom. Did you know that? You can know all sorts of information and never achieve wisdom. When I preach and when I was pastoring, I like to talk about the difference between an informational culture and a transformational culture. Sometimes we have a lot of thoughts, factoids, knowledge in our mental filing cabinet. But it needs to go to our heart. It needs to change us, to transform us. Many times we equate learning with spirituality. And so we give ourselves to learning and studying the Bible and coming, coming to church like you're doing here today. But do we let it change us? Do we let it transform our lives? In my experience, some of the churches with the most Bible literate and knowledgeable people struggle with some of the most carnal sins. Sure, they might not have any of the open sins that our world has. They're not having affairs and living in adultery. But they're backbiting and gossiping and lying and fighting and having church splits over uh, the most ridiculous things. I was pastoring one of the men in our church was a, a missionary. Uh, he knew sign language. He was a missionary to, a de- to the deaf. He was a deaf pastor. Uh, one of his supporting churches, he told me, true story. Half of the auditorium had red carpet. Half of the auditorium had blue carpet because <laughs> they couldn't get along. Now, I, I guess I'm thankful that they didn't have a church split, but let me tell you, that church was split over that. Ridiculous. It happens. I like what Charles Spurgeon said, the greatest enemy to human souls is the self-righteous spirit which makes men look to themselves for salvation. We're all guilty of it. So this is Paul's description of the, these vulnerable women, vulnerable people, By way of application, I think we could say that today. Not limited to women. We all need to be careful. We don't allow ourselves to be corrupted by the influence of toxic people in the church. But notice where all this begins. It begins with toxic people. The people being led astray. All this, it begins with people who use their lifestyles to ruin vulnerable people. We need to be careful. We need to be perceptive. We need to be watching. Because these type of people can creep into our church. Sometimes we need to detox from toxic people. I think this reminds us of what was said in Matthew 7, 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father, it is he who will enter. There are toxic people in churches today. We need to be careful. Paul says in verse 9, they will not make further progress. Their folly will become obvious to all. Just like Jonas and Jambres, remember? In the end, who performed the plagues? Moses speaking for God. Jonas and Jambres, they, they were shown to be foolish. Paul gives us this, uh, the, this command, it reminds, or this promise, it reminds me of the promise that Christ said, I will build my church. Well, here's another promise. These people, they will not progress further. They're not going to be allowed to continue. One day, God's going to have his day, and one, of these day, one day, these people will be shown for who they really are. So watch out. Toxic people, maybe I'm speaking to some today, who want to fight 
who want to creep into homes and get a following. Watch out those of you who can't follow leadership and you want to be in control yourself. Watch out those who are always learning but who never come to a real knowledge of the truth. One day God is going to reveal your own foolishness. It's going to come out. It will be revealed because as Luke 6.45 reminds us, what comes out is what's inside and it will be revealed. One day, people will see who you really are if you're a toxic person. Maybe you're here today and you really don't think before God, as, as you search your heart, you don't think you fall into that category of toxic person. Be careful. Be on the lookout. Toxic people approve carnal behavior. They mask their inward character. They ruin vulnerable people. They hinder personal growth. Sometimes we do need to detox from toxic people. So let's put all this together this morning. What, what do we do about this? What are some next steps that we can take? How can I walk away from church this morning and, and, and have something that I can put into my life this week? Let me give you four next steps. These are not original with me. These are from an article that I read on the topic of dealing with toxic people. I think the author wrote a book entitled When to Walk Away is sitting on my shelf. Haven't read it yet, but it looks really, really good. <laughs> In his article, he says, when dealing with toxic people, don't view it your mission as to stop them from sinning. It's the wrong approach. Sometimes we might want to stop someone forcibly from sinning. Don't, don't view it as your mission. Don't try to control a controller. Usually doesn't work out well. Our job isn't to stop people from sinning. Maybe for you, focus on the 2 Timothy 2, 2 type of people, the faithful men and women. Don't try to control a controller. Maybe for you, you just need to spend some time in prayer. Maybe you're dealing with this. You have an office mate at work. You have someone on, on a board or on a group here at church. Or you, you know of, of a situation where someone is just really, really difficult to work with. Take some time and pray this week. Ask God to help you navigate this. Second application, don't let their toxicity become yours. It's so easy. Many of the problems in churches today could be resolved if people didn't listen to other people's stuff. We want to go to somebody and say, hey, let me tell you about this. Let, let, me, let me tell you, if you stop that right there, they're not going to be coming back to you. We need to be skilled at stopping those things. Don't let that person's toxicity become yours. Don't jump on their bandwagon. Oh, I can't believe Pastor Ace hurt you the way that you said he hurt you. Oh, man. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't let their toxicity become yours. Number three, speak truth to toxic people. We're not saying don't speak truth. Speak truth to them. We live by truth. We don't pretend toxic people aren't toxic. Sometimes we do need to speak truth. Maybe for you, you have one of those situations. And for you this week, you need to spend some time in prayer thinking, God, how do I address this? I know I need to. I let it go on for too long. I know so-and-so gossiped to me, or I know this situation happened, and I know I need to take care of it. 
maybe you need to spend some focused time in prayer this week. Ask God to help you, to be bold, speak truth where you need to. Final application this morning, remember to love them as Jesus did. I think this is where the gospel comes in. Many times we, maybe we hear a message like this and we see those people and we're like, oh, avoid, stay away. Don't want to have anything to do with them, but we, we forget to love them. We forget that they need the gospel too. We forget that Jesus ministered to a toxic person through, for three years and he turned around and betrayed him. This is where the gospel comes in. The fact that Jesus died for our sins and shed his blood so that we could be free from sin and that toxic person that you might be dealing with today, they can be free from that. Maybe you're here today and, I don't know, maybe it's your first time at church or maybe you're just trying to figure out the spiritual things and you recognize some toxic stuff in your life and you say, how do I be free from this? The answer is Jesus. Come to him in faith and repentance. But if you're dealing with a toxic person today in your life, love them as Jesus did. Don't make their toxicity yours. Don't be afraid to speak truth, but at the same time, love them as Jesus did. Maybe for you, a practical application is you need to read through the Gospels. Maybe you take a month and you say, I'm going to read through the Gospels. I'm going to see how Jesus interacted with people. How did Jesus deal with this? Because Jesus had a lot of them, right? He had a lot of them in his ministry. Learn from the example of Christ. Sometimes we do need to detox from toxic people. Imagine this morning, what would your church be like? What would any church in the United States be like if every single believer here said, you know, I'm going to follow what the Apostle Paul said. I'm going to detox from toxic people. Next time I hear something, I'm going to do something. The next time something happens, I'm going to handle it biblically. I'm not going to let this person control me with their, their sin and their manipulation. What if our churches today lived out what, what we have in our text today? Just imagine just think how unified we would be, what a great work God would do in our hearts, and how much we could get done together serving God in his mission. Make that your vision as you leave this morning. Father God, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth that we need. It's hard. It's hard both to deal with somebody who is toxic but it's also hard to recognize that maybe we are the toxic ones father help us wherever we find ourselves today help us to be able to take the truth of your word apply it to our lives so we can be what you want us to be in jesus name we pray amen